Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Good morning. We can, uh, we can do the Josiah thing here. If you're good, say I'm good. Good. It's good to be with you. I'm so happy to be here. You get the privilege, you get the, uh, the distinct honor because next week our founding pastor, Toby Slough, he's going to be with us, my dad. And so this week you get the A-team Slough and next week you get the B-team Slough. You can tell him I said that. Just kidding. Okay, did you guys know that Thanksgiving is only 32 days away? And Christmas, that means Christmas is only 64 days away. Is that not crazy? Like, where has our year gone? Seems like it was February a week ago, right? This year has gone by so fast. The holiday season is quickly, quickly approaching. Gifts and traditions and parties and family gatherings, all these things are beginning to happen. And we're so excited for all of this, right? Well, some of it. Some of it we aren't excited about because, you know, like some of us, we kind of have some messed up families. Like who has a messed up family in the room? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. Are you joking? I wouldn't ask you something that personal in church. But some of you guys shut your hands up quick. Like, man, we've got the healing place. Like you can make an appointment, crosstimberschurch.org, find the healing place. But honestly, if we're, if we're truthful in this room, all of us have some pain from our families, right? We all have some sort of dysfunction, whether we like it or not, because nothing's perfect on this side of heaven that comes from our family. And, you know, we all, we all have that, that crazy family member, that crazy uncle or crazy sister. And if you don't have that family member, it's probably you in the room today. <laughs> No family is perfect. Like, you know, now we're starting to see all the holiday pictures pop up on Instagram and Facebook. And the truth is, is that we've all had some, some pain and some hardship from our families. You may come from a completely broken family or your family might look great on the surface but have a bunch of cracks underneath because we all have some mess within our stories. And the interesting thing about the holiday season is that it's unique because it brings so much celebration, so much joy, so much happiness. And alongside of it, all of this hurt and pain and confusion about the loved ones in our lives, it it comes up as well. The loss, the grief, the fractured relationships, the unhealthy dynamics, the boundary issues, like all of these things, they kind of get resurfaced and bubble up around the holiday season. And family conflict and pain is, is a major contributor to mental health issues such as anxiety and depression in our life. And the reason that that is is because many of us can feel stuck, right? Like we were born into this family, so how could we change anything? How can we get out of it? And that begins to really affect us. And not, not only affect us, but it can have generational impacts above and below us. So I just want to, I want to pose this question to you today for you to consider, and this is what's going to drive our message today. So what if the pain from your past or your present is holding you back from the abundant life that God has planned for your future? What if a significant part of your healing journey requires that you go backwards in order to move forwards? 
And I would submit to you today that this type of healing is essential not only in our lives, but in our discipleship to Jesus and our sanctification and becoming who God has called us to be. Because the whole and healed version of us is the one that is uniquely positioned to go and be the people in our community, in our world, who can show the love that God has required for us and called us to, serve, to show to our community and to others around us. So I want us today to, to look together at a story in scripture. And if you think that you have a screwed up family, this family from the story is completely jacked up. Like if they wrote a movie about this story, it would like kick the era's Taylor Swift movie or whatever's in the box office, like completely out of the picture here. It's so wild. There's so much complexity and nuance. And we're just gonna kind of hit the highlights today. But you've probably heard of the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors, right? It's found in Genesis. Um, I remember it from my elementary Sunday school days whenever we had the flannel graphs and we'd put you know, these people up on these flannel boards and we'd put the coat of many colors up on Joseph there. And the story is a lot more messy than that. But I would encourage you to go read it this week. It's chapters 37 through 52 of Genesis. And what we find is that Joseph pops into this story when he's 17 years old. And he's the youngest of 11 boys. And when I begin to read the story, the first thought that I had is, thank you, God, for modern contraception. Like, I'm, I've got two kids, and that is enough for me. So it's like, I cannot imagine 11 boys in a house. So one, one important layer to this story that we have to point out is that Joseph was the favorite son of his father, of all of his brothers. Hence the, the special robe, the coat of many colors that his dad gave him. And if we go back in Genesis and kind of trace the story back, there is this generational pattern of favoritism that has really plagued Joseph's ancestors. And it's an important point um, of the story that, that, we need to, that we need to focus on. And then the next, the next thing that's important to look at, and, and culturally this might have not been as big of a deal as it is whenever I try to think about it today, but... You know, it wasn't just like uh, Joseph's mom and dad and they had these 11 boys and they lived like a happy family. It was this wild, blended family situation with multiple wives and multiple concubines, which are like not as important wives. Like, how would you like to be the not important wife in the family there? And there's all the children and they're, you know, mind you, they probably come from different wives and they're all living under one roof. Like I picture like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase, like the chaos of that situation. That's what I picture this is right here. So Joseph's brothers, they all resent him and, and hate him because he is his father's favorite. And, and Joseph being this young and arrogant and immature 17 year old, I'm sure none of you were like that when you were 17, right? He gets these dreams from God where God tells him that he is going to rule over people. And so get this, like imagine your idiot younger brother with a silver spoon stuck in his mouth, like coming to tell you, the older brother, that he's had this dream. And in this dream, he tells his brothers that he is the sun and his, brother, his brothers are the stars who are bowing down to him. Like, of course they wanted to kill him, right? Like, they literally, they literally wanted to kill him and they make a plan to kill him. And one of his brothers stands up and basically says, actually, let's not kill him. Let's just fake his death and sell him to some Egyptians. What an act of mercy. 
So this is what they do. They throw him in a pit, they sell him to some traders, and they cover his robe of many colors in animal blood and tell their dad that his favorite son got killed by an animal. And what's, what's an interesting kind of note, detail about this story is that uh, Hebrew literature, in the Hebrew literature, directions are really important. They signify things. So in this story, the, the, the author says that Joseph went down to Egypt after he was sold into slavery. And what is being symbolized there, what is significant about that, is it's showing that Joseph was literally exiled from his family. He was excommunicated, kicked out from his family. And while I hope none of you have ever had an attempt on your life by your family, I can imagine that some of you in this room have felt excommunicated from your family. You felt kicked out or not accepted or disregarded by your family. And I I just want to point that out. And I really think God wants to tell you today through this story that he sees you. He sees the pain that you've experienced. It hasn't gotten past him. One scholar writes about this story that the level and the number of secrets in a family is an indicator for the level of health of the family. And Joseph's family, for generations, had engaged in lying and half-truths and secrecy and jealousy, and thus it was a very, very sick family. So fast forward through Joseph's story, and he begins serving in a house in Egypt, and then he gets accused of rape, wrongly accused of rape, so he gets thrown into jail. Then he meets some officials of the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, in jail, and he interprets some dreams for them. And then later on in the story, the guys actually forget about him, and it's more heartbreak. And later on in the story, these officials are back in Pharaoh's court, and Pharaoh has a dream that he wants interpreted. And these officials remember Joseph, and they say, hey, I know this guy who interpreted my dreams. Um, and, and, And Pharaoh says, okay, let's go get him. And so he interprets this dream for Pharaoh, and what, happen is, what happens is this miraculous story of where he gets elevated to this place of great power in Pharaoh's council. But here's the crazy, here's, here's the big moment in the story, the craziest part, okay? So there was this famine that, that, that affected the whole area, affected all of Egypt and Israel and the whole land, and the Holy Spirit had given Joseph some intuition and some through a dream that this famine was going to come. So he instructed the Egyptians to store up all this food so that they could distribute it to those in need after when the famine was going on. So Joseph is ahead, the head of distributing all of this food to all these lands. The famine comes and guess who comes to get food from him? His brothers, his brothers. And they don't recognize him because he has now been an Egyptian society for like 15 years. And so he looks completely different, but Joseph has a choice to make in that moment. He can take his rightful revenge and not help them or kick them out, you know, uh, call for their heads for what they had done to him, or he can help them. And, and what we see is through these crazy events, God softens Joseph's heart and he forgives his family for the pain that they've caused him. And he ends up helping them. And he, he breaks many generational curses. And it's, it's a powerful, powerful story that I would encourage you guys to go read the details of. Now, don't hear me today say that if you've experienced great pain from your family, that you should just you know, forget it all, sweep it under the rug, reconcile and go make it right and help them right away. Because I know that that's not the case for everybody's story. 
But what I want us to do today is to look at some of the characteristics of Joseph and of his story that maybe can help us walk into the healing future that God intends for us. We can learn from Joseph how to navigate some of this family pain that we experienced. We can learn how maybe we have to sometimes move backwards in order to go forwards. So I want us to to look at a couple points from Joseph's story. And the first one is this. The first one is that we have to be honest. We have to be honest. We have to be honest with ourselves. No matter how difficult we must look at our past, our pain, and our families, we have to be honest about the good and the bad and everything in between. And there's a couple reasons why this is hard for us. One is because it can feel like oftentimes looking at our pain, staring at our past in the face can often feel like a black hole, right? That if we go back to that place, we're never gonna be able to get out. The pain is too great. We're not gonna be able to escape it. And I wanna encourage you today that God is with you. He's walking alongside you. You are not alone. And then another reason why often we, we don't, we aren't honest with ourselves is because we, we rationalize and we justify our experiences and we minimize what, what we went through. We, we say things like, well, it, it really wasn't that bad or it wasn't as bad as so-and-so or it could have been worse. And that comes from a place, honestly, like a, a good intention place where we don't wanna dishonor, we don't wanna hurt, we don't wanna say bad things about our family. We're grateful for what they've given us. But if we aren't honest, If we aren't telling the truth, then what are we doing? We're lying. We're lying to ourselves and we can begin to believe these lies and they can become wrapped up, intertwined and entangled within our stories. And then it's it's easy to see how this can become generational patterns for us and why it's so hard for us to be able to move out of those. And I've I've had the honor to bear witness to many stories when I was counseling at the healing place or as I've continued to counsel individuals and I've heard these stories, I've heard the reluctance to name the ways that our parents or our families have failed us, have not given us all the things that we need. But what I have told them and what I wanna tell you today is that your family, your caregiver, your loved ones, they're doing the best with what they had. They were doing the best with what they had. You know, my dad, he tells this story um, pretty often. uh, And so I have his permission to share it with you today. But whenever he was growing up, he had a difficult time with his father. He often felt like he didn't receive the love and care that he needed. And a few years ago, my grandfather was telling my dad uh, this story. And he said that when he was growing up, when my grandfather was growing up, he only heard his dad, his my great-grandfather, tell him that he loved him one time and he only got a hug from his, from his dad a handful of times. And that was a really healing moment for my dad because he realized, man, my grandfather was doing the best with what he had. So that can't keep us from being honest, from, from facing our pain. And Joseph, what we see in the story is that he was honest about the heartbreak of his family. And although there's this beautiful picture of reconciliation that we see, he did not sweep the wrongdoings and the hurt and the pain underneath the rug. There's multiple times in the story of Joseph where it says that he wept over his family. Genesis 45.2 says this, 
And he, Joseph, wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. He wasn't afraid of the pain. He stepped into the pain. He looked at the pain. He engaged in his emotions. He wept loudly. He grieved the pain that his brothers and his family had inflicted on him. And we can also see this uh, in Joseph's two sons. So he had two sons while he was in Egypt and he gave them names, you know, names in the Hebrew uh, tradition were really, really significant. And so the first son, he named Manasseh, which is from the Hebrew word for forget. And because God had allowed him to move past, move forward from his past, move a heal from that moment. God had allowed that healing to happen. And then the next son, he named him Ephraim, which comes from the word, word fruitful because of the future that God had for Joseph and his family. So this leads us to the next point that we can learn from the story of Joseph. And it's this, we have to hold on to hope. We have to hold on to hope and we have to fight against hopelessness. And when I say hope, I don't mean a blind optimism, like a, like a pie in the sky sort of mentality. Because as Christians, as believers, our hope is not in a circumstance or an outcome. We don't, We don't live our lives based on whether this is going to happen or not. Our hope is in the goodness of God, right? Like we we sang about today. That as we look in the face of pain, when we're honest with our stories, when it doesn't look like there's a way forward in our life and through our pain and with our families, that we hold on to hope that God is good and he wants good for us. That his goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives. And hope... Hope is a powerful thing because hope, it doesn't have to be this raging fire inside of us. Hope is just a spark. Hope is like burning embers inside of us. And what we are required to do is to continue to stoke that fire because because having this happy and joyful demeanor in the presence of really crappy circumstances, that's almost impossible to do. But keeping that spark, that little spark of hope alive in us through the midst of our circumstances, that's something that we can do. That's something that we can hold on to. And that's exactly what Joseph did. After he was kicked out of his family, after he was accused of rape and he was thrown in jail, it says this in Genesis 39. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So even at the bottom of the barrel, the authors here want to show that Joseph is literally at his lowest point, but God was with him there. God allowed just a little spark of hope. He showed him kindness and gave him favor with the warden. Even in these most challenging of moments, Joseph was able to hold on to hope. So for for you today, even if it feels like you are so stuck in pain, even when it feels like you are imprisoned, when you are trapped and there's no way out, you can't see the path forward, there's hope for you. God is with you. He wants to show his kindness to you. He wants to pick your head up and allow you to see the places of favor that he has given to you, that he has put around you. So as we're honest with our stories, as we face our pain, as we continue to hold on to hope, the next step that we have to do is we have to change our clothes. And you may think, well, what do you mean by that? 
Thanks for asking. I'm going to tell you. So there's this really short verse in the story of Joseph, and you may not even notice it if you're reading the story through, but the author is included on purpose. It's another important detail. And it says this in Genesis 41. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So this is the point in the story when Joseph is going to go interpret the te- a dream for Pharaoh. He has been in jail for many, many years, 10 years probably. And he comes out and he interprets his dream for Pharaoh. And co- contextually, it's important to understand that Hebrews, who, Joseph is a Hebrew and Egyptians are very different culturally. So it'd be like us Americans going to another country that has a completely different language, traditions, foods, customs. And, and Joseph wasn't, so Joseph wasn't only exiled from his family, but he was kicked out of his culture. And he was thrown into this uncertainty and all of this unknown that he just had to, to figure out. So this moment is significant because I picture that Joseph for 10, 15 years, he had been kind of holding on to this belief that maybe he'd be able to to go back to the way things were, that maybe he could hold on to this culture and then ultimately hold on to his family. And this was a really significant moment for him because he painfully had to let go of all of those beliefs and dreams. And he had to step into something new, into this new thing that God was calling for him. And those those are painful releases. So in our own healing journey, there are clothes that we need to leave behind. There are things that we need to let go of in order to move forward. And sometimes it's ideas or beliefs or lies that we continue to hold on to. Sometimes it's patterns of behavior. And one of the things that holds us back, one of the things that um, keeps the, the old clothes on us is that it's comfortable, right? We get comfortable in our ways of operating. We get comfortable in our dysfunction, even. This, these old clothes, this dynamic, it may not be the best, but it, it's working for us. Like, you know, for instance, maybe I know that gossiping about all my siblings isn't the best for me, but it works. Or I know that this cycle of me and my mom getting mad at each other and not talking for months on end and playing this game, it's probably not healthy, but... It's the way that our relationship is. So we get used to these things and we get numb to the pain. And change and progress and moving forward, that can be scary. That requires some courage from us. That requires us to take a step into something unknown that might mess with the status quo, which is you know, the opposite of comfortable. It's uncomfortable. So we just kind of rather stay over here in our old ratty clothes. And this is where I think this idea of the abundant life that God has for us, the future that he has for us, it gets a little confusing and blurry because when I think of abundant life, I think of kind of like the American dream, Americanized notion. It's everything is up and to the right and it's all towards success. And, you know, they, they work out at the end of the Hallmark movie and kiss, you know, and it's Hallmark movie season. So that's great. Um, but the truth is, is that the abundant life is scary. It requires risk, Um, but that risk and that step of uncomfortability, it gives us a full life, a rich life. 
And the promise of scripture is that God says that he will do more than we could ever ask or imagine exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine when we step into this rushing water of the abundant life that God calls us to. So I would just ask you to consider what what do you need to let go of today? What do you need to step into? Are there old clothes that you need to shed? Is there a new dynamic that you need to create? So as as we face our pain, as we are honest with ourselves, um, and as we step into, step into something new, step out of who we were, and we, and we move forward, and we hold on to hope and become whole, the next step that we have to do, finally, the thing that we have to do, I'll end with this, is that we have to find a way to be a blessing. We have to find a way to be a blessing. You know, in Luke 6, Jesus says some, some pretty radical words. He says, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you and do good to those who don't like you. And another version says, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. And man, our our families can often bring out the worst in us, can't they? I know it's true for, for my family. But what if today, what if you made a different choice? What if you made the choice to let your family bring out the best in you? What if you decided to do good to them even if they don't deserve it? What if you decided to pray for them even though they don't treat you right? My assumption, and I think what Jesus was getting at in this scripture, is that not only will that impact our families and our loved ones and those who we care about in our lives, but it'll change our hearts in the process too. Like maybe the bitterness and the resentment that, that often creep into our lives, that can be held at bay. And maybe our, our minds can more easily be turned to, to gratitude for what we have. And so I know that, that some of you are probably feeling and thinking, Ross, this is, this is such a, a place of deep hurt for me. And some of you have been brutally betrayed by family members and there's been abuse and fractures that can never be made whole and even things that I can't even begin to imagine. And so forgiveness or reconciliation or even blessing seems like it's not even on the table for you. But could there even be just a small shift in your heart towards the hurt? Or could there be another relationship in your life that's been broken that you can begin to open your heart towards? Because when we begin to bless through the most challenging circumstances, it opens our lives to the abundance of blessing that we get to pour out on the world around us. So in the end of the story, in Genesis 45, it says this. It says, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Joseph recognized that even if he would have gotten lost in his pain, that God would have not been able to use him to save a literal entire region. And it began with this willingness to be a blessing to those that were hardest to love in his life. Because the the abundant life, it is marked with risk. It is marked with a need to have courage. But it's also marked with the opportunity 
to be a blessing to others, to save others. Did you know that you and I are God's saving plan for this world? that the hurt and the pain that the world around us is experiencing, we get to be people who come alongside, be a blessing, be hope carriers, be people who comfort those who are hurting in our world. And in order to do that, we must first be open to be a blessing to those who are hardest to love in our lives. So let's not let our pain and past hold us back from the abundance of life that God has planned for our future. Let's pray. God, I know that there's so many stories in this room that are marked with just deep pain and hurt from those who are supposed to love us the most. There's grief and loss and a hole in our heart for those who are not with us anymore. And Those places, in those places, sometimes it's hard to even know, God, can anything change? Can I feel anything else but hurt and pain? And for those people today, God, I just ask that you would cover them with your comfort like a warm blanket. You know, if you're in the room today with all heads bowed and eyes closed and you're having, you've had a hard run with your family, Would you just raise your hand so I can see you and I wanna pray for you. Yeah, I see you, yeah, yeah. God, we pray for, I pray for each each and one of these people that have felt hurt and pain that men don't know the way forward, that it feels so impossible. God, I pray that they can sense your goodness, that they can have that little spark of hope can be, can be greatened, can be amplified, can grow in their heart, that maybe the places where they've given up, maybe the places where they've felt like nothing could change, God, that this week, today, that you show them a little bit of path of the way forward that you light up the next step in their path. God, and I pray that we can come face to face with our pain, that we have the courage to do that, but not only that, that we take a step forward and we hold on to hope, we step into something new and we find ways to be a blessing to the world around us. God, we thank you that you are the one who comforts us so that we can comfort others. We pray all these things in your name, amen.